one of the things that happened when she is that she stopped speaking English and she went back to her native language of French, which I don't understand. Wow. So she's speaking to me in French. That was the first language, and sometimes Hebrew. This is Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Caring Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Caregiver Storyteller, a storytelling podcast about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. I'm Chris Doucette and I'll be interviewing caregivers to get their stories about Alzheimer's and dementia caregiving. Occasionally, I'll also interview the authors, advocates, researchers, healthcare professionals, and people with Alzheimer's and dementia to hear their stories too. So, are you ready? Here we go. Okay, my name is Max Stapler. Uh, spring and fall, I live in New York City, Manhattan, Chelsea. Uh, summer, I live in the mountains in Colorado. And winter, I live in Miami-Dade County, Florida. I was married for 42 years to a wonderful woman, and for the and she passed in April 1, 2016, due to Alzheimer's dementia. For the last 12 years, before that, I was her primary caregiver, practically our only caregiver. I didn't get that much help. Very difficult. Uh, her name was Vivian Stapler. I was married in uh, 1969 in Jerusalem, Israel. I imported her into the United States. She was 21. <laughs> Beautiful. And uh, I don't know how she managed to get Alzheimer's, but it happened. What did happen? It started very simply by she would forget things. Every time you asked her a question, she would repeat the question. In the beginning, I thought, well, she's not listening to the answer, but later I learned it's more than that. Yeah. Started with uh, things like putting ice cream in the refrigerator instead of the freezer, simple little things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it slowly developed worse. It's not something that happens well at once. So somebody said to me, I'm sorry about your loss, but actually I lost her three times. The first time is when I went to a good neurologist here in New York City. Uh, his name is uh, Winowski. He also does research in Alzheimer's. And uh, he started giving me Alzheimer's medication for her. And then I read up about it and I learned how bad it really is. I really didn't know this in the beginning. <laughs> and the second time I lost her is when I couldn't take care of her anymore. And so the last, I think it was at least nine months, I had to put her into an assisted living nursing type home in the Denver area. I was lucky I found this. And of course, the third time I lost is when she passed. And actually, I hate to say this, but it was in a way a relief because she didn't know who I was anymore. Uh, I couldn't take care of her anymore. She was suffering, uh, so it ended peacefully. I didn't have to bring her to a hospital. I had a nice, uh, what do you call those nurses that come to help you? The home health aides? More than that. Uh, uh, they, they came a visiting actually, nurse. Yeah, yeah, they actually came and fed her small quantities of morphine, I think it was. Or, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's hospice, hospice, hospice care? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, hospice care really helped me a lot at moments of her, at last few days of her life, right? Tell me about Vivian. What was she like? What drew you to her? Uh, she was really wonderful. We worked together. We used to do rentals in Queens, and she helped find the tenants all the time and helped screening them. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the opposite of me. I'm a very I'm a chemistry educator, high school and college, very organized, and she was a free spirit, liked to talk to everybody, worked as a bartender at one time, worked as a real estate agent, which didn't work out. <laughs> so in a way, we were opposites. Um, there was a bad time in our life. Uh, for 10 years, she was an alcoholic, and I think that could have been 50% of the reason what led to Alzheimer's, I'm afraid to say, but I think that could be it. Uh, but I survived that, and uh, she eventually stopped with the drinking. Uh, but by that time, I guess it was too late. It already affected part of her life. How did you two meet in Jerusalem? Yeah, I no, I'm a teacher. I was off in the summer, and with me and my friend, we were traveling all over Europe, and one of our stops was Israel. And I met her in a resort area called Kazaria, Roman, uh, uh, and uh, she was trying t- to get into a swimming pool that had water shooting from the sides, and she didn't want to get wet. So she picked out two guys, I was one of them, to stand and block the water so she can go into the swimming pool area without getting wet. (laughs) And then I I invited her for lunch in this place I was staying, and then she told me to come and meet her in Tel Aviv, where she was staying, and which I did. And, uh, And I kept... Then I went home back to New York and I kept writing to her. I, I, I was engaged to somebody else that didn't work out, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I came back to Israel and we were married at what they call the Kotel, which is the Western Wall in Jerusalem, just after the Israelis captured it. And it was actually broadcast on BBC, but I never got to see that. And then I imported her into the United States. Mm-hmm. How did she like living here? The thing in Israel, they think if you come from America, you're rich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and this is the feeling that everybody has in Israel. Oh, you're a rich American. <laughs> and uh, so the first place I lived in was a one-bedroom, and it uh, wasn't really the best place, but it was in Queens. But she quickly got me out of that situation, and we found a two-family house. Eventually, I took over. <laughs> that was more like the American dream <laughs> mm-hmm. than where I was living. She adapted very well. And you had kids, right? Yes. I have two daughters. I have an older daughter, 48, and uh, she's very happy. She lives in Denver, Colorado, has two kids, 13 and 10. 13-year-old is getting bar mitzvah this year in August 18. And a daughter, 10, lovely, lovely children. She's a great mother. Uh, She helped me out as much as she can with my wife. Uh, I have a younger daughter who's living with me in an apartment in Manhattan, giving me a very difficult time. She's the free spirit. I hate to say this, but when I really needed her, uh, she ran off uh, to Vancouver for two and a half years instead of being here helping me. She said she just couldn't take seeing, she was very close to my wife and she couldn't take seeing her the way she was. She didn't like that I was giving her medication. She thought I was killing her with it. Mm-hmm. But actually, the, according to neurologists, the medication is what kept her going for more than possible. How is your relationship with your daughter now? It's, it's your, your wife died just a year and a half ago, yeah. right? Or yeah. two, two years ago. My younger ago. daughter yeah. took it very, very difficult. Yeah. 
One of the problems is she's a hoarder, and this is driving me crazy in Manhattan because it's a small two-bedroom apartment, and I can't even move in the place. So she's come back from Vancouver? Oh, yeah, yeah. She's here now, of course, yeah. And has your relationship improved since since she left for Vancouver? Uh, no, it hasn't improved uh, mm-hmm. because I can't take the hoarding. She refuses to throw away things for my wife. She says, I still want to smell her and the, the uh-huh. clothes. Mm-hmm. And she keeps boxes and boxes of stuff. I really have big arguments with it. It's time to let go and get rid of all this mm-hmm. stuff because I can't move. <laughs> and uh, she's not married. Uh, and uh, she's... Ex- supposed to be a very joyful thing. She's expecting a baby in September. I'm not really thrilled about this uh, because uh, she can hardly take care of herself and I just don't have the energy to be a father, <laughs> that's for sure. The person that made her pregnant, hopefully he's, he's a jerk. <laughs> that's a good way to describe it. I don't know who he is, she knows. Bad person, and uh, let's hope he stays away from her because my philosophy is bad boyfriend, bad husband is better than no husband, no boyfriend. Mm. So you're still living with the consequences, really, yes. and your daughter especially, of the emotional consequences yes. of, of your wife's and her mother's death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk about the, the point at which things added up to such a point where you felt the need to take her to a neurologist. Well, I'll tell you one that really stuck in my mind. She's standing in the kitchen crying with a puddle uh, below her feet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I got the idea that all of a sudden she's incontinent. And I call up my daughter in Colorado for advice. What do I do? And she says, depends. And I said, depends on what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> but then I learned about what the pens are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess that was one of the things that said I better, because my regular family doctor really didn't understand Alzheimer's. So at that point, when you realized that there was something more significant, that's when you took her into the doctor. And that's when the, when what happened? The doctor Yeah, he prescribed a recept. So he knew very, he, he identified it as uh, either a dementia or Alzheimer's very Correct. quickly? Yes, because yeah. that's his major field. I mean, other neurologists I went to, they really don't understand what Alzheimer's is. And how did, how did your wife respond to her diagnosis? Uh, in the beginning, she was very against it. She says, what do you mean I have problems with my brain? You know, she, she was, uh, but later she, uh, they gave her these tests like drawing a simple clock and showing the hands of what time it is. And uh, she had trouble doing that, so I think she realized that uh, to herself. And she, whenever she walked around, she always walked around with a copy of her driver's license because it had her address down, and she figured if I get lost, I could show somebody this, how to get where I'm supposed to go. So in some way, she really did accept her diagnosis, and she took steps to kind of deal with it. Yes. What did you do to equip yourselves with the resources to deal with this? Well, for one, I had um, a GPS device uh, that was on her all the time. I, I had uh, a necklace where it had said that uh, she has memory disorder and her first name and my name and my phone number. So if she got lost, somebody could find her, and I'll tell you a story later how that really helped. Um, I, of course... And I, of course, I, I put things on, like, safety bars in the bathroom so she wouldn't slip and fall. Mm-hmm. 
I loaded up the place with uh, incontinence products. Mm-hmm. How about education or, or, or emotional support? What did you do to equip yourselves with the, you know, to deal with the stress of this situation? Well, in New York City, I really had a problem. In Florida and Colorado, I went to support groups. And, of course, the problem with that is I had to find someone to watch her, although in Colorado where they were nice, they let me bring her uh, in went to the support group, and she would be at the side, and she would listen to her music. I, she loved French music, so I had a, a little device that had all her French music and put earphones on her, mm-hmm. and that kept her very calm. Mm-hmm. When I was in Colorado, they had an adult caregiving. Mm-hmm. It wasn't all for dementia patients, but they were really nice for, I think it was $12, $15 an hour. They would watch her for three or four hours, and they would give her lunch, Mm -hmm. and that was really a big help. I didn't get help like this in Florida, and I didn't get help like this in New York City. In in, uh, New York City, uh, just to find someone I could trust to watch her for three hours, very difficult. In Florida... I was really lucky, and this was amazing. I found a retired nurse who actually lived in Colorado, where I live in the mountains, in the next town. And she lived in the next town in Florida. And she would come two or three days a week, $15 an hour, and would watch her. And she was really good with her. Wow, what are the odds of that? Yeah, what are the odds of that happening? And we're still friends. (laughs) Uh, wonderful. Yeah, that was absolutely wonderful. So with her coming for three hours, two or three days a week to give me what they call respite care, yeah. and this way I was able to get out and go bike riding, I, otherwise I couldn't have done it, because right. uh, my younger daughter wasn't there, and my older daughter was really busy. She's two full-time jobs and two kids. Wow. So, I mean, when she came, she would watch her, but there was not very often. So in Colorado was great with uh, with this two or three days a week in the adult daycare center that they had in the senior center that was wonderful and with mm-hmm. this woman coming she would come all the way uh, taking two buses uh, just to watch her for three hours and she wouldn't accept more than fifteen dollars an hour at that time so that was kind. great yeah. and the same thing in Florida she would drive. Nine was about 12 miles to come over to my condo and watch it for three hours. It was wonderful. And all the traveling must have been stressful. How did she handle traveling between three locations? Well, <laughs> what I used to do, and I found out, I would tie uh, a, like a dog leash between her and me when we were at the airports. And, of course, when security saw that we were tied up like that, and they said, can you please remove the tie when you're going through it? And I said, if I do that, then you're going to have hundreds of police having to find her all over the place when entering the airport. So they saw that, and they let me right through security mm-hmm. <laughs> easily. Mm-hmm. And 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 Manhattan, I had to work like that too. I had to have a right. dog leash tied between the two. Uh, I'm going to tell you a very interesting story. What happened to me in Manhattan, and this was the scariest thing in my life. I went to it was a right age drugstore, uh, which is a couple of blocks from where I live on Eighth Avenue, probably around uh, I live on twenty on Twenty Fourth Street, Twenty Fifth Street, and. Uh, 
I went to one of these machines to measure my blood pressure, and I was holding her hand, but for one moment, I just let go of her hand because I was doing this blood pressure thing, and all of a sudden, I see she's not there. And I asked the store owners in the front, did I see her? No, not like they really didn't care anyway. And uh, look, all over the store, not there. She must have walked off, and I didn't have this dog leash tied to me, her at that time. Uh, so I call up 911, which was the biggest mistake. New York Police Department, I hate to say this, maybe they're really good at finding the bad guys, but they're certainly absolutely no help. Now this day was the day that the bomb went off in the Boston Marathon. So I don't remember the exact day, but I do know that's the day this happened. And 911 is telling me, stay right where you are, where you last saw her in front of the drugstore. And it took them at least 30 or 40 minutes till they sent a car over. I would have been much better if I didn't call them. And I went home to my computer and tried to locate, because she was wearing the GPS, but it just wasn't working with my cell phone, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And then they're dragging me all over the place and places I know that she wouldn't go to. And the dangerous thing about this is, is because when she crosses these streets of Manhattan, she doesn't look at the red light or the green light. She just walks across. She doesn't understand that. And uh, she could have been just easily killed, mm -hmm. just easily. Mm -hmm. uh, and finally, they bring me to my house, and I'm on the computer, and they notice that she's walking down Ninth Avenue about 10 or 20 blocks from here. And I, I tell the police, good, now we know where she is quickly gets get in the car and let's go find her and they said no that's our out of our jurisdiction we can't drive you there oh this. no right and just then i get a phone call from a good samaritan who probably read the phone number on a necklace or a, a necklace yeah like a dog tag mm -hmm. right uh, and saying they brought her to St. Luke's Hospital, which I believe is around 59th Street and 9th Avenue. Mm -hmm. Now remember, I last lost her at the drugstore on 8th Avenue at 24th Street. So she was walking all the way there. Mm -hmm. And so right away, the police said, well, now you found her, we're leaving. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> and they said, can't you drive me to the hospital quick? No, we're not gonna take you there. <laughs> really unhelpful. So I call up the hospital and I give her first and last name and I said, nope, she's not here. So I call her back up that Good Samaritan and said, that's where we brought her. So I hop in a taxi and get there. And then I find out the reason that she, they said she's not here is because the dog tag only lists her first name. So they had her listed as Vivian Unknown. That's what it actually said on her bracelet, Unknown, oh under the U's, not under the S's for right. my last name. And she's lying there in the hospital. She sees me. She's very happy. She has all kinds of things attached to her. And I asked the, the, the doctor who was in charge there, said he never heard of her. And the nurse there, finally I got a nurse to pull all those things out of her so I can get out of this place. And the only thing I could think of why she was still alive through all that, either God was watching over her mm -hmm. or she was following somebody who was stopping for the red lights. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of those two reasons. Mm -hmm. And I guess when she got to 9th and 59th Street, she was walking around in circles because she lost, I, I, I think she lost the person, whoever it was that she was following. And that's right. why she was alive. And after that, she was smiling and happy. She recognized me. And uh, we actually took a bus and went home. 
So it's yeah. a story with a happy ending. Then. Yes. Yeah. And of course, I get a bill for $70 from that doctor who never heard of her. <laughs> Amazing. And then I learned that just uh, after that, I went direct. I used to go directly from Florida to Colorado because I learned New York City just too dangerous. Cannot bring her here anymore. Did she prefer Florida over Colorado? Did what was her favorite place? She liked Florida and Colorado. She liked mm-hmm. the weather. She's like me. Mm-hmm. She liked to run away from the cold. Mm-hmm. She preferred the warm weather. And uh, Florida was nice and quiet. We had a beautiful balcony overlook, uh, overlooking the intracoastal waterway. It was a favorite thing to listen to her French music and uh, sit on the balcony on a nice chair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a really big, the funny part about it is I have a really big place in Florida, three-bedroom, three-bathroom, like 2,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. And I thought this would be fun. We could play hide and go seek. You know, you can find me. And little did I know <laughs> that she would actually get lost in this apartment because <laughs> it was too big. Yeah. How did your relationship with Vivian change? What are the kinds of things that you would do together that she was capable of? Well, for the good part is we didn't have any more arguments, especially arguments over money. Mm-hmm. So that was, if anything, so <laughs> we got along better because there was nothing to fight about. Right. right. Because uh, when I was living in Queens, uh, we, we had arguments over money, and then yeah. she would hide this money under the carpet in safe deposit boxes that I never heard of that I found out later. It's something like I found $10,000 in $20 bills hidden under carpets when I moved out. I found this. Wow. <laughs> I guess this was part of her insecurity, and, uh, and then she would forget about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would like to go to dollar stores, especially in New York, and buy buy not just one item but many. Maybe this is where the hoarding comes from that my younger daughter has. Mm-hmm. And she would throw everything in her closet. And when she wasn't there, I would try to find useless stuff and try to throw them away. But she would get very upset when the pile got shorter. So I used to find things to stuff up the pile to keep it higher. I would find things inside like... Uh, bags from McDonald's because there's a McDonald's store right where I live and uh-huh. she would take one or two bites of the hamburger and a few of the french fries and then throw the bag with the french fries and hamburger in the closets and I would find many of those mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know it was all to Alzheimer's but later I put the two together I found out that was part of the Alzheimer's I, I thought it was just part of her personality Right, because you mentioned, you described her as being a free spirit. So yes. the question becomes, when you look back, when did the free spirit end and when did the Alzheimer's begin? And that's a gray area, right? Yes, that's a gray area. It's hard, yeah. to, hard to define when. All I know is that uh, when I once went to Thanksgiving Day dinner, which was in my daughter's husband's uh, sister, She's a lawyer, and she once went to me, and she said, something about Vivian I can't put down, but she's not the same person. And I really think that she recognized the Alzheimer's before I recognized the Alzheimer's. Because oh. it's the, the change happened so gradually that sometimes you really don't know. But other people who haven't seen Vivian in a very long time and noticed the difference in her behavior from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they will notice that difference, even though I couldn't. Mm-hmm. 
And how did you respond to that? Did you get defensive with that observation, or did you, or did I was it just trying to your... figure out what it was? <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. But many years later, I went back to her and I said, uh, "When was this?" Because I wanted to establish the base when Alzheimer's first started, and that's when I discovered that this 12-year difference. I see. Yeah. Because yeah. it happens gradually, and you don't even notice it. So, and the really bad stuff, of course, is the last th- three years. The really when the the first really bad stuff is the incontinence, not mm-hmm. only urinary but bowel movement and mm-hmm. incontinence, really mm-hmm. bad to deal with. And is that when you decided to get uh, help from a nurse? No, actually, when I decided to get help from the visiting nurse, was when I would leave her alone, and uh, and then she would go out of the apartment and stuck knocking on people's doors and crying. And that's when I realized I really needed to get some help, Mm. that I couldn't leave her alone anymore. Right. Uh, Same in Florida. She would take the elevator downstairs and start crying and telling people, I don't live here. This is not my place. Mm. So that was what triggered to get the help. Because my favorite thing is to go bike riding for three hours. Wherever right. I am, I go bike riding, New York right. City, Florida, Colorado. Right. And I, when I couldn't leave her alone for three hours, that's when I needed the help. When she was first diagnosed, talk about that moment when she talked to you about how that was going to play out and, and how she wanted to be cared for. Actually, she never really discussed this with me. I know I've read other stories about I'm Still Alice, for example, Mm -hmm. where Alice made a tape recording of herself while her brain was still functioning about how she wanted to be cared in the future. Mm -hmm. But uh, remember, she was never, she was a free spirit and never really an intellectual. She really liked watching soap operas all the time Mm -hmm. and not the news. Her thing was, is that... uh, I will make the unimportant decisions about how we will spend money, and you will make the important decisions like who to vote for. (laughs) Uh, When I went to the Alzheimer's doctor, his favorite question all the time is, who is the president of the United States? And uh, she couldn't answer that. And I believe I told this to the doctor, even if she didn't have Alzheimer's, I'm not sure that she could really answer (laughs) this question because she was never interested in politics. So the funny thing is, I was coaching her on this, and I said, the next time we're going to speak to him, and he's going to ask you the same question, who's the president of the United States, you're going to answer Osama bin Laden. (laughs) I thought it was funny, and she did that when we went to the doctor. He was not impressed with that answer. He was not happy at all. Yeah, yeah. Did she have family in Israel who, who... Yeah, she has three brothers and three sisters. She has a brother who lives in Florida, and she has a sister who lives in Florida and Queens. And all the others are in Israel. They took it very hard when they learned she passed. How did they handle the Alzheimer's diagnosis? Were they involved in the caregiving at all? Or they were not. Uh, did they come to I visit? I didn't really get any help from them. Mm-hmm. It sounds like her brother-in-law in Florida, he was actually ashamed of the way she was and I got really angry that she would spill food out of her mouth or out of her hand. And my sister-in-law, I was very angry at the time. Uh, they would have Passover seders, and they wouldn't invite us. I, sometimes I really can't forgive them for this. Mm. Uh, 
so I got and and I really think they really didn't fully understand what Alzheimer's was, except that her younger sister in Israel told me she doesn't speak very much English. Uh, that her mother, when she was eighty, she thinks she had Alzheimer's, mm. and I was wondering if it's really re- related, to, you know. But that was late onset, not early onset. Mm, Yeah, one of the good things, if it's good about early onset, it progresses faster than late onset. Mm -hmm. And uh, having this thing to drag out for another 10 years, uh, that would really be very expensive and would really drive me crazy. I probably would have, if it it dragged on for another 10 years, I think I would have passed before she did. Mm, Because of the stress. Yeah. If you live in three places, how did you, did you ha- maintain friendships in all those three places? Did you have a kind of a, just a friendly support system as opposed to an official, you know, home health care aid, you know, uh, uh, support system, but just one of only, uh, based on friendship? Only in Colorado. I hate to say this, but in Colorado, especially the small town that I lived in called uh, Frisco, Colorado, in Summit County, mm-hmm. uh, people were much, much nicer. They don't care who you are, what religion you are, where you were born. Uh, they really tried, they came over to my apartment and, and, and they're the ones that really helped me find that nurse in the first place. Mm. Uh, and looked over my apartment, gave me ideas what to do. I would go there uh, and uh, to the community dinners they had every Monday and uh, they would help me carry the food, you know, you would uh, over to our table, and the way we ate, uh, one spoon would go in her mouth, one spoon would go in my mouth, uh-huh. and everybody was very okay with that. I hate to say this, in Florida, I really didn't get much help. If I had to hire someone other than this nurse that I found, uh, they were only out to get the money. Uh, like I hired one woman who I thought would be wonderful because she spoke Hebrew, and she was religious, and she would be sitting there watching TV, and I would ask her, did you take her for a walk? No, it's too hot outside or it's too cold outside. Uh, did you take her to the bathroom? She says, I asked her, and she said she doesn't have to go to the bathroom, and I could smell it a mile away. Mm-hmm. So she was a very poor caregiver, just out for the money. Mm. That's surprising. So you, one thinks that Florida is a place where... There's a there's a very robust and senior care right it wasn't industry it wasn't and and I hate to say this but uh, still when I go to Florida I really don't have any friends there it's a very ethnic population mm-hmm. and the place I live in is occupied by mainly Russians eighty mm-hmm. to ninety percent Russian and if you don't speak Russian they will say hello to you but they really don't want to be friends and know you mm-hmm. that's the way it is there so I love where I live near the beach. I love my big apartment, but the people there, I just can't make friends there. That's the bad part. Are you still teaching at all? No, I retired. Uh, yeah, and uh, I was really lucky about teaching. It was very good for me. I was teaching for 35 years uh, in Queens, more, uh, and uh, I shouldn't mention too much, but because of the teachers' union, I'm getting super benefits that uh, unfortunately other people are not getting. Oh, that's wonderful. Those are wonderful. the those are back in the in the good days, yes, pension days. Tier one, they call it. Yes, mm-hmm. I uh, I'm a little too young. I miss the I miss the gravy train of pension days. That doesn't really exist much anymore. No, it's it's a it's a pension, and Social Security pays for everything. Mm-hmm. I'm really lucky about that. Yeah. And uh, 
did you make a retirement decision based on the caregiving for your wife? No, it, it's a very stressful job. So when they offered me an early retirement incentive, I was actually, um, normal retirement, I believe, was 55 at the time. Mm -hmm. I took it at age 54. Oh, wow. And they gave me a full pension. And it was such a stressful job, I was really happy to get out of it. But I continued working as a mentor training new science teachers mm -hmm. in a few schools in Queens. Mm -hmm. I also worked as an adjunct assistant professor at Queensborough Community College, part of City University, mm -hmm. and also at St. John's University. So I really was too early in my life to retire, but between the mentoring and teaching at two colleges as an adjunct mm -hmm. was almost like a full-time job. When you think back about your family, before the, uh, the diagnosis of Alzheimer's or before the symptoms of Alzheimer's, what is one of the happiest memories that you have of, uh, of Vivian and your kids? What comes to mind? Gee, <laughs> part of that part of my brain is, is out. Well, I, I know a wedding at the Western Wall was really spectacular, that I remember. Vivian was absolutely beautiful, uh, which you'll see in her pictures later. Uh, I don't think I could have ever found anyone so beautiful, both in the way she acted and the way she looked, in America. <laughs> I had to actually go to Israel and port her into the United <laughs> States. <laughs> uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm learning that now because uh, right now I'm actively looking for a girlfriend and I find it extremely difficult. <laughs> it's, when you're 75, it's not like when you're in your 20s at all. It's, uh, right. I'm doing online dating and I'm not being very successful at it at all. <laughs> <laughs> Except that one of the big problems is, is the way that I live in three different places and it's very hard like this. I'm going to have to give something up if I ever want to get a relationship, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and I will never find anybody who is as beautiful as she was. She gave birth to two wonderful daughters. Mm -hmm. the, they were 13 years apart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I really don't know why those two daughters are so different. <laughs> uh, Maybe it's because with the first daughter, I was a real father there all the time raising her. Mm -hmm. But after 13 years and being working with teenagers, I guess I just didn't have the patience to be a terrific father like I was for the first one with the second one. Mm -hmm. And she primarily took care of the second one, and maybe that's why she grew up to be a free, free spirit like her, like she is. Do you feel like you had the support that you needed and the information you needed while you were caring for your wife? Or did you feel like you had to kind of invent it as you Yeah, I didn't really get the support. This was why it was so difficult. I just, uh, just learned as I went along. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, she has to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So trying to find a bathroom is really difficult. <laughs> so I, had to, I couldn't walk into a woman's bathroom. That's for sure I'd be arrested. Right. So I went to a men's room, and sometimes they have these uh, closed doors. So I, I would have to wait till I thought everybody was out. <laughs> and then I brought her in there so I could change her what they call adult diapers, mm -hmm. which I did, and I used to have to carry them in my backpack. Mm -hmm. And then I would have to look to make sure that uh, no men came in so I could scoot her out of the place. And 
this is some of some of the difficulties that I had that I had to all by myself. Yeah. When you do meet someone who is a caregiver, what advice do you give people? <sighs> I really feel sorry for them. <laughs> I, I, said, I, I better not tell you about all the difficulties that you're going to have to go through because it's only going to make you feel worse. And uh, my advice is to try to get all the help that you can get. Mm-hmm. I know one thing. If I had brought her into a nursing home at an earlier stage, she would have probably had passed much faster. Why is that? Because I think what kept her alive so long is the way I would uh, take her all over the place to three different places, uh, go for really, really long walks. I mean, long, long walks. She was a great walker. Remember, when she got lost, she walked three or four miles on her own. Yeah. 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 And I think this is what kept her alive. Because uh, in a nursing home, I was lucky to find this. Um, it wasn't really a nursing home. It was called assisted living, but they ran it like a nursing home. My daughter helped me find it. And the way she helped me find this place is she went to visit them with her two children. And if her two children felt comfortable in the place, then she knew it was a good place. <laughs> Uh, and uh, this Good was trick. a pl- yeah, and this is how we found this place, and it was very inexpensive. It was four thousand a month uh, for a shared room, but most of the time she had her own room because they never filled up the second room, and that and they and they had uh, two full-time caregivers in the day and one full-time caregiver in the evening, and they only had about six patients in this place. Very small. Wow. It was a private house in a beautiful area with farms. And uh, I used and I, I used to have to argue with them to try to get her to take her out for walks a little bit more. One of the problems I had is she, w- when there were steps, she was afraid to walk down steps, so I had to install a ramp that she could walk down. Mm-hmm. The, the the real problem I had in the last few days before I put her into this nursing home is I couldn't bring her on a bus anymore because she was afraid to walk up and down off the steps in the bus. So I bought a car in Colorado just so she would get into it, and especially a low car where she could sit down very easily because if it was a car that was high off the ground, I could never get into it. And then after a while, she was afraid to get into the car. She was, Alzheimer's patients are afraid that they're going to fall down, mm-hmm. especially if it's a dark colored, like black. Uh, matter of fact, some nursing homes put a black type of carpet just where the door is to keep Alzheimer's from walking out the door. Mm-hmm. And so to get her in this car, I had to go in to the back seat, get in the car, and then pull her in, crying and screaming and <laughs> to get her into the car. I couldn't even bring her to a doctor to take her home. Right. And when it got like this, this is when I finally decided I just can't do this anymore by myself. Yeah. And yeah. my older daughter convinced me too, please. <laughs> and that was only in the last nine months. You can imagine how much trouble I had. Do you feel like you've changed after uh, this caregiving experience? Are you a different person? Well, when people were watching me take care of her, uh, they would come over and they'd say, you must really, truly love her, <laughs> because that's what real, true love is. So maybe we had these tremendous arguments when before she had Alzheimer's, but... Uh, the, the the true love really showed itself, I think, is during those, especially the last three months or last six, no, 
during the last three years, not three months, <laughs> three to six yeah. years yeah. of being a full-time caregiver. Most people came to me and said, uh, I could never be able to do this. My friends told me this. My relatives told me this. Right. I mean, one indication of, of your love for someone is how far you're willing to be inconvenienced and made uncomfortable for the sake of somebody else. So that's I think right. That's a fair, I think that's a fair assessment of your caregiving for, for Vivian. Yeah. I mean, just imagine this. Uh, you have to take care of every aspect in your life. I have to cook for her. I have to shop for her. I had to change her diapers in the bathroom. I had to brush her teeth. I had to get in the shower with her to take a shower. Couldn't do that alone. Uh, do you have any other stories that you'd like to share before we wrap up? Well, she was a wonderful person. She spoke three languages. She was born in, Tun in Tunis, Tunisia, and where they spoke French. And uh, so that was our first actual natural language. When it became impossible to live in Tunisia, when Israel became independent in 1948, she had to immigrate to Israel. And you couldn't just go from Tunis to Israel. You had to go to Paris. So when she was 11 years old, she lived all by herself in the city of Paris till, they, till, they, till the Jewish agency transported her to Israel. She lived in the kibbutz. You know what a kibbutz is mm -hmm. in Israel. So imagine this compared to how it was in Alzheimer's at 11 years old. She was all on her own. Yeah. She came from a family of three brothers and three sisters, and little by little they all immigrated to Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, she would have been in the Israeli army had it not for me because I got her out of it <laughs> and putting her into America. They were really very angry at me about that uh -huh. <laughs> because she went to college. Uh, she went to a home economics school in Tel Aviv, and really she hates home economics. She only did this because that's the only college she could have gotten into where they gave her a full scholarship. And she would, wanted to go to Tel Aviv because she was living in a town called Beersheva in the desert, which she hated. And then she learned English in America. And, of course, she learned Hebrew when she lived in Israel. Oh, can I hear just something that came to my mind? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the things that happened when she is that she stopped speaking English, and she went back to her native language of French, which I don't understand. Wow. So she's speaking to me in French. That was the first language, and sometimes Hebrew. So my daughter gave me a list of all kinds of words in French and in Hebrew, mm -hmm. and I gave this to the caregivers in Colorado, and I said, just in case she's going to start speaking to you in either French or Hebrew, at least she'll understand what she's saying. <laughs> Smart. Do your daughters speak either French or Hebrew? Yes, my older daughter speaks uh, daughter. Hebrew, no, not too much French. Right. Mm -hmm. Max Stapler, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to do whatever I can to help. Well, enjoy your future bike rides in uh, in Florida and Colorado. Colorado. I wish you well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Max. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to share your story, go to caringkindnyc.org slash podcast. Maybe we'll use your story on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave some glowing feedback. We love positive reinforcement. I'm Chris Doucette, and you're listening to Caregiver Storyteller, produced by Karen Kind, the heart of Alzheimer's caregiving. <laughs>